the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Download the Faith Talk Tampa app or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. As one might expect, Stephen's words elicit a furious reaction from the men of the Sanhedrin. Luke tells us that they were cut to the quick. What does that mean? Well, literally, it means that they were sawn in half. They were sawn in half. In other words, Stephen's words ripped these men apart, exposing them for what they really were, not men of God, not devout followers of the true God, but rather stiff-necked religious hypocrites, guilty of blasphemy. That's who they were. And because they were now exposed for what they really were, rather than repenting, which is what they should have done, they were so livid that they began, we read, gnashing their teeth at Stephen, which means that in their frustration, coupled with intense anger, they started grinding their teeth at him. In other words, they were absolutely furious at Stephen and vented their fury by grinding their teeth at him like snarling wild animals. As we get into today's verse-by-verse broadcast, things are heating up in Acts chapter 7. Stephen has laid bare the sins of the religious leaders, and they are mildly upset. Now, okay, that was an understatement worthy of an Englishman. They were enraged. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is ready to dive into today's verse-by-verse broadcast. While we might want to cheer for Stephen with his stinging accusations of the Sanhedrin, let's make sure in our excitement that we don't miss the application for our own lives. One thing to note in today's broadcast, while the Sanhedrin was confronted with their sin, they were not remorseful at all. They had no desire to confess the sin that was laid out before them. Let's make sure our hearts are tender. Here now as Pastor Steve begins our broadcast. With these accusatory words against the Sanhedrin, Stephen's defense has officially ended. As I said a few moments ago, whether or not Stephen intended to say anything more, we'll never know. Because after hearing his accusation against them, the Sanhedrin react violently, which we read about in the following verses. Look first at verse 54. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. As one might expect, Stephen's words elicit a furious reaction from the men of the Sanhedrin. Luke tells us that they were cut to the quick. What does that mean? Well, literally it means that they were sawn in half. 
they were sawn in half. In other words, Stephen's words ripped these men apart, exposing them for what they really were, not men of God, not devout followers of the true God, but rather stiff-necked religious hypocrites, guilty of blasphemy. That's who they were. And because they were now exposed for what they really were, rather than repenting, which is what they should have done, they were so livid that they began, we read, gnashing their teeth at Stephen, which means that in their frustration, coupled with intense anger, they started grinding their teeth at him. In other words, they were absolutely furious at Stephen and vented their fury by grinding their teeth at him like snarling wild animals. This is a horrifying display of hostile rage. But listen, the Bible describes this same reaction on the part of unsaved people in hell. People who are so filled with fury against God that for all of eternity, the Bible says they will be gnashing their teeth at him. Jesus said these words in Matthew 13, 41, 42. He said, at the end of the age, the son of man, that's him, He'll send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and they'll throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, don't think for one moment that those who go to hell will feel bad for their sin. Don't think that they will feel so bad that they want to repent, but they just can't or that they'll regret how rebellious they were to the Lord and feel remorse because they blew the opportunity to accept Christ. Not at all. They won't feel any remorse for their sin. They'll feel only anger at God and it'll only get worse than it was on this earth. They will gnash their teeth at him forever, forever. What's so terribly tragic about the men of the Sanhedrin is that these men did have the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. Not only had Jesus stood before these very same men at his trial, but God mercifully gave them the opportunity to hear about Christ from the lips of Peter. Who better than Peter? The apostles? And now Stephen. And yet these men grew harder and harder and colder and colder and madder and more upset until they exploded with such rage that they couldn't even articulate their anger but could only gnash their teeth at Stephen. Listen, let this be a warning to all who get upset and angry every time you hear the truth about Jesus. It means that you are growing harder and harder in your heart and moving closer and closer to the kind of fury that people in hell have towards God. And they'll never get over it. And unless you repent and turn to Christ for salvation, you will reach a point where you will be confirmed in your hardness of heart because God in his judgment will harden you to the point of no return. This is precisely what God did with the children of Israel. Those who rebelled against him in the wilderness and he warns us to learn from them. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7, we read, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they did not know my ways. 
As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then the writer to the Hebrews adds this for our benefit. Take care, brethren. By brethren, it doesn't mean Christian brethren. It means Jewish brethren. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So take care. Heed this warning and make sure that if you don't know Christ, you come to him immediately before your heart grows so hard that you cannot hear the words of conviction, the words of salvation. So today, if you do hear God's voice convicting you of your sin, commending Christ to you for salvation, your soul, then respond before you cannot respond. Listen, it's a horrifying thought, but true, that the men of the Sanhedrin are in hell today, unless there were some who repented, They're in hell today, still gnashing their teeth in fury at God, the way they did to Stephen. But while they were venting their frustration at Stephen, the Bible tells us that by way of contrast, Stephen was completely calm and serene. Notice verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand. Of God. Now we read that while the men of the Sanhedrin were out of control, Stephen was under control and under control of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. And while these men were venting their anger at him, God granted Stephen a most encouraging vision. We read that the Lord, as it were, he pulled back the curtains of heaven and let Stephen look in. And what Stephen saw when he looked in, he saw the glory of God meaning the Shekinah glory of God, which spoke of God's presence. And he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, meaning God the Father. Now, it's interesting that we're told that Stephen saw Jesus standing at the Father's right hand rather than sitting. And I say it's interesting because in other places in the New Testament, we're told that Jesus is seated at God's right hand, signifying that having given his life for the sins of his people, his work was done, finished, so he sat down. There are many places that speak of this, but perhaps the clearest is Hebrews 1.3. We read in he, speaking of Christ, he's the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins... He sat down at the right hands of the majesty on high. His work was finished, and he sat down. It's over. But here we read that Stephen saw Jesus standing, not sitting. So why is the Lord standing? Well, the text doesn't tell us. The text does not tell us why he was standing. But it is very likely that Jesus is standing to show his concern for his servant Stephen as the Sanhedrin just pour out their fury and that he has stood up in order to welcome Stephen to heaven, to glory, because in a very brief time, that is where Stephen is going to be. What an incredible thought that when we die, the Lord Jesus welcomes us to heaven because we'll finally be home And we will then enter into the fullness of our salvation, hearing those incredible words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Welcome home. And Stephen is about to experience this wonderful personal welcome to glory 
by Jesus because Stephen is about to die. And the reason he's about to die is because what he is going to say next to the Sanhedrin about this vision of heaven will push them over the edge so that they will end up killing him. In verse 56, we read that he told them this. He said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now notice how Stephen refers to Jesus. He calls him the Son of Man. Why is that significant? Well, it is an Old Testament title for the Messiah from Daniel chapter 7. And apparently, hearing Stephen testify to Jesus like this reminded these men of when Jesus, probably just a few months earlier, stood before them at his trial and he referred to himself as the Son of Man. And they killed him for it. We read in Matthew 26, 62 through 65, the high priest, this is our Lord's trial, the high priest stood up and said to him, do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you've said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. It was these very words that brought the death penalty upon our Lord, because claiming to be the Messiah is what the Sanhedrin considered blasphemy against God. And now, months later, Stephen stands before them and he says essentially the same thing. And it's just too much for these men. They can't stand it. They killed Jesus for saying these words. And that's exactly what they're going to do to Stephen as we read in the next couple of verses. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him and the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They were so incensed with what Stephen said about Jesus being the Messiah that they just started screaming at the top of their lungs, top of their voices to try to drown out his words. They also covered their ears so they couldn't hear any more of what he said. And then all of them, all of them just rushed together at Stephen, grabbing him and dragging him outside the city limits where they began stoning him, not with little pebbles, but with huge rocks. And Luke adds that those who were executing Stephen took off their outer garments and they laid them at the feet of a young member of the Sanhedrin by the name of Saul. This is Luke's way of introducing us to Saul of Tarsus, who will play such a prominent role in the gospel going to the Gentiles as Paul the Apostle. But for right now, Saul is just another member of the enraged Sanhedrin council. And he's in hearty agreement with those who were throwing stones at Stephen to kill him. And in the final two verses of this chapter, we read about the death of this great man. Verses 59 and 60 read this way. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. As these men just kept throwing stones at Stephen, Luke tells us two significant things about how Stephen died, which really should be a great encouragement to all 
who know Jesus as Lord and Savior. First of all, we read that Stephen asked the Lord to receive his spirit. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And what this tells us is that Stephen is convinced that upon death, his spirit, that invisible, immaterial part of him, will immediately be ushered into the Lord's presence with Jesus, who's standing up, welcoming him to heaven. And what that tells us about death for a believer in Christ is that there is no delay, folks, in going to heaven when we die. We don't have to wait for some kind of holding area like purgatory. We don't enter into an unconscious state known as soul sleep. Scripture makes it abundantly clear that whenever a believer dies, their soul or spirit, which are synonymous terms, instantly goes to heaven. And it is in that state that they await the reuniting of their new body with their soul when at the time of the resurrection. But upon death, there is no waiting to enter into glory. Paul couldn't have made it any clearer when he said in 2 Corinthians 5 eight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. At death, our spirit separates from our body and we are at home immediately with the Lord. Paul, speaking of his own experience, said in Philippians 1.23, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. He said, it's better for me if I die because I'm going to be with Christ immediately than to stay on here with you and minister. Now, it turns out the Lord's will for him was to stay on and minister, but from his own standpoint, it's much better because dying is gaining being with Christ. Now, the second significant and encouraging thing about Stephen's death is that as the Sanhedrin just continue to pour down stones upon him with all of this utter contempt for him, he, by contrast, responds with love and forgiveness for his murderers. We read that falling on his knees, he prayed with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What an incredible testimony, folks, of God's grace in Stephen's life. What an incredible testimony of the power of the gospel to transform someone so that instead of seeking vengeance and justice, all Stephen wants for his executioners is for God to forgive them for killing him. You know what? The Lord will answer that prayer in at least the life of one of his killers that we're aware of because young Saul of Tarsus will soon meet Jesus on the road to Damascus where he will be converted and commissioned to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But listen, what an example Stephen is to us. To be able to have such love in your heart that you don't hold a grudge against anyone, even those who unjustly murder you. That's the way a believer ought to die. That's the way we should die without any animosity in our hearts. And our dying prayer should be for the salvation of those who are still lost, regardless of what they've done to us. And as the last line of this chapter says, having said this, he fell asleep, which is God's way of saying that he died peacefully. And thus ends the life of this great man. So what do we learn from all that we have studied these last few weeks? Well, certainly we've learned a great deal about God's presence not being restricted to a building because he is immense. He's greater than that. He is omnipresent. And certainly we have learned that the history of Israel is one of constant rejection of their leaders, Joseph, Moses, the prophets, Jesus, their Messiah. 
But beyond what we've learned from Stephen's words, there are two important lessons that we can and should learn from his life. First of all, there's the great lesson that what people think of you is not what God thinks of you. Stephen was despised by those who first debated him and then brought false charges against him, as well as by the men of the Sanhedrin. They thought of him as a renegade Jew, a traitor to his people, a blasphemer who was worthy of death. That's not who Stephen was. He was one of God's choice servants. He was a great man of God. He was a great man of courage, a great man of integrity, a man so precious to Jesus that the Lord actually stands up to welcome him home to glory. And the lesson for us is that while you may be hated and scorned by unsaved people, even those of your own relatives who despise you for what you believe about Christ and the Bible and the holy standards of Scripture, you are precious and you are beloved to the Lord. And there is a warm welcome awaiting you in glory. So be encouraged by that. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. So be encouraged. Second lesson from Stephen's life is that with the brutal death of this great man, the early believers, they must have wondered, what now? What now? How in the world is God's kingdom going to advance? What's going to happen now? After all, Stephen was just this great, gifted, godly man, a unique man, such an important member of the church at Jerusalem. What are we going to do now that he's gone? But be encouraged, because God is not limited to great men. God's work always continues, even when his great servants are taken home to glory. He always raises up more godly individuals, and that's exactly what he's going to do now that Stephen is gone. We're going to read about another great man in Acts chapter 8 by the name of Philip. And then we're going to see more about Saul in Acts chapter 9. So as someone has put it, and I'm paraphrasing, while the workers of God may die, the work always continues because God sovereignly wills it to continue. We bury the workmen, but the work continues. Stephen has been dead for over 2,000 years, but the gospel that he loved and proclaimed, that continues to flourish. The question is, have you embraced the Christ that Stephen preached? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? And by that I mean your faith alone in Jesus Christ. Have you ever been forgiven of your sins? Your sins of what? Resisting God, being stiff-necked, rebelling against Him. All of us have been guilty. But those of us who have trusted Christ understand that God placed our guilt upon Christ in our place. And He bore the penalty for our sins. I urge you, if you've never trusted Christ, believe on Him. Trust Him. Repent of your sin before it's too late. Before your heart is so hard that you can't hear within you the convicting voice of the Spirit of God. If you want to talk to somebody as I close the service, I'll ask that some of our elders stay back and come up to the front, and they're available to speak to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this man, Stephen. We thank you that you raised him up at a strategic point in church history, and he being dead, his words live on. And we pray that, Lord, we'll never forget him and the example 
that he has been to us of courage and integrity and boldness and faithfulness to you, Lord. We thank you that this man was so kind and so gracious that even as his murderers continued taking his life, he prayed for them to receive salvation. Lord, I pray that his life will impact us. I pray that we'll be like that, that we will not be vengeful people seeking justice and striking out, but being people who bless others when we're reviled. And I pray, Lord, for those who have experienced such scorn from their family that's so hurtful, so hard. I pray they'll be encouraged because that's not how you think of them. And that this world is just very brief. It's fleeting. And someday, Lord, you will stand up for us as we go into your presence. May that be an encouragement for us to look forward to. And I pray for those who have never trusted you, Lord, those who may know about you, but their hearts are growing harder and harder. I pray that you will do a work in their hearts even today to bring them to true, genuine repentance and faith in you. This we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. What can we apply from today's verse-by-verse broadcast? We may be hated and scorned by unsaved people someday, but we are deeply loved by the Lord. As we look at the evil in the world today, we can have a tendency to think, what now? As I'm sure the Christians in Stephen's day must have thought also. But be encouraged, even when God's great servants are taken home to glory, He always raises up more godly individuals. And that's exactly what He's going to do now that Stephen is gone. And that is what he is going to do today also. Perhaps we need to say to God, here I am. We're quickly running out of time on today's program. But please come back as we have not yet come to the end of this wonderful study about Stephen's defense. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.